0: Hello everyone. I wanted to let all of our wonderful listeners know just how much we have appreciated their support over the past year. We'd especially like to thank all of our Patreon members who go the extra mile by making financial donations that have allowed us to keep the show on the air for the past five years. In those past five years, we've released nearly 400 episodes, garnering nearly 3 million downloads which is only possible because of listeners like you. While my team and I are on a much-needed holiday break this week and next, we wanted to share with all of our listeners a couple of our episodes, which were previously only available to our patrons. Today, you'll be hearing from our former guest, musician Jolie Holland, who dives deeper into the cult dynamics inherent in her recently released album, Haunted Mountain. If you are not a patron yet and would like to access nearly 50 other bonus episodes, please consider becoming a member for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash indoctrination. You can find a link in the show notes to this episode. If you are already a member, thanks again for your support. And please take a look through our feed of hundreds of episodes and see if there's one that you may have missed. As a patron, you also have exclusive access to our first 50 episodes, which are only available on Patreon. You can access those episodes under the Collections tab in Patreon, or simply follow the link in the show notes of this episode.
1: Thanks for tuning in to our Patreon exclusive bonus episode. Listeners like you are the reason we keep the show going. So thanks so much for your support and enjoy this bonus interview as our thanks to you. I am so happy to be able to provide another wonderful show for our supporters, for the people who take the time, make the effort and are generous in supporting what we do to keep it on the air and to keep it available for other people who want to be able to come on and talk. And also for people who just really want to hear about what other people have been through and how they've gotten through it. And so it's a special treat today to have my guest. So To our lovely Patreon supporters, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Jolie Holland. And part of the reason we're going to be talking today is not only because of your history and some of the things that you've been through, some of the things that you've needed to be able to understand, uh, and some of the things that are hard to understand that people try to understand throughout a lifetime, I think, to see how they impacted you, but also because you have this wonderful gift. You are able to create music and you are very talented and you have actually come out with a new album. And I'd love you to spend a moment talking about the album and then we'll get into it in more depth.
2: I wrote some of these songs with my friend Buck Meek, who's in the band Big Thief. It was great to be able to have that kind of collaboration with him that was super fun I produced it as a trio which was really interesting I'd never done that before it was um with two of my long-term collaborators Adam Brisbane and Justin Veloso and we did most of it in um in the middle of nowhere in this uh it's not it's not the middle of nowhere now but it really used to be it was in the off season for rock climbers, it's a place called Smith Rock, which is, you know, I don't, I don't climb. So, like, I, I had never heard of it. But our friend's grandfather bought land there when it was worthless. And then now it's a rock climbing mecca. He's a musician, and he started this beautiful studio out there. So we uh, were in view of, of all the incredible rock formations. It was so great. And, like, a herd of deer would go to sleep outside one of the windows every night. It was incredibly isolated.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Quite beautiful. You know a lot of people who are artists find environments to be in that help them to um, quiet their minds or are able to um, let their creative juices flow. There are a lot of people who find nature to be a wonderful collaborator to their music. And so I'm really glad that you got to explore somewhere new, somewhere Quiet and remote. What did it provide for you being in that space?
2: I've made a couple records out in the middle of nowhere before, and you were giving the band a case of cabin fever, basically. You're just like everybody's like isolated and there's no restaurants. You all have to cook for each other. So that was really cute. And people were, you know, sharing kind of like family recipes and that kind of thing. Like the engineer is a French guy, Octave Zangs. First of all, his first name is Octave. Such a cool musical name.
1: So I remember watching uh, the documentary that came out pretty recently about Neil Young. It was such a good documentary. You get to really know him and see him now, but also has how he's reflecting back on the time that he did these barn recordings and what it was like just to be you know, on his land in the country, but also be in an actual barn doing the recordings and how it changes the feeling and changes the music to a certain degree, just the sound, the overall sound. It's very cool. There's
2: a song on the record called feet on the ground. I'm trying to create a new project for myself that's anti-patriarchal dance music. And I think about like other people who are doing similar stuff like Pussy Riot and Anani and La Tigra. And like, I don't know, I'm just like trying to approach it for myself. Like I always try to redefine what protest music means. And the drum track on that was all about barn sound. Like, we re-amped a drum machine and then played it in the barn and then recorded that. Every man, woman, i On a spectrum to the revolution and a system of exploitation. Feet she... on the ground is a really important song for me. It's the first foray into dance music, and it's really inspired by this William Onee-bar song called Better Change Your Mind. It's really modeled after his song, and it's a dance song, but it's discursive. You know, it's a it's a party song. But it's like meant as like part of an important conversation. America! Do you ever think this world is yours? Eh? And you Russia? eh, Do you ever think this world is yours? One of You is the first way that I was trying to write Feet on the Ground. Like, I was trying to write an anti-patriarchal song, kind of like a protest song from the inside out that's not confrontational, but more intended as like a transformational song. It's it's really interesting to me the way it happened. Like, I was trying to come up with images that have that kind of power for me. And I read Jersey Kaczynski's book, Painted Bird, when I was 13. That song just, like, appeared to me. Like, I wrote it in 15 minutes. So it's, like, this really interesting, almost, like, dream response to the idea of, like, how do you talk about... How dangerous sexism is. Like, how, how do you talk about how dangerous racism is? And the image is just so, so brutal. And um and yeah, I just really zoomed in on the central image in, in that book. Um, the book really tortured me. I really wish that I hadn't read it when I was 13. It was like, it was really like a lot of very Violent sexual scenes. It really scarred me. I literally read it because there was like a cool illustration of a bird on it. Like, I, and then once I started reading it, I couldn't stop because it's so intense. It's the story of this little Polish kid, a blonde haired kid who is not immediately perceptible as being Jewish. And he's like walking out of rural Poland in the aftermath of the Holocaust. And he keeps encountering these horrible scenes. And one of them, he watches these two country boys that are trapping birds and then painting them all the wrong colors and then releasing them to their flock and then watching the flock kill them. So it's like this very basic picture about the dangers of disinformation and othering. Wrote a terrifying book About some horrible hicks Who trapped a little bird Just for kicks And they pinted it on colors Unfamiliar it's kind over right? It's so interesting thinking about like how even the very finest shades of othering create so much danger. Blue Seeping into the black
1: For the other interview, for the general public, we get into more of your history and more of the cultic themes, coercion themes, manipulation themes. But I know that We are a product of our lives and of our childhoods, of our experiences, of our traumas, of our victories. So it's going to be woven in in ways that you're aware of and maybe even not to a great degree, as we all are. Or mostly that you're not aware of. Right. You know, as somebody
2: whose job it is to explore, you know, poetry and like this kind of like psychological art of songwriting. I feel like it's part of why my family hates me, you know? (laughs) They're just like, shut up, shut up about that. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to think about that. But it's, uh, you know, it's my orientation. And I had this thought last night um, after we'd been up late with my partner and his broken toe and like a 4 a.m. thought, like just being really aware of, how my upbringing is was just all about self-hate is good just really hearing that that I was raised with like self-hatred as a positive quality I think like those sort of awarenesses really come out of putting yourself in a radically different space it's like I'm I'm here with my partner, like, we're dealing with, like, nonsense of life and, like, just him, you know, getting this injury, just dealing with real stuff in a loving, realistic way, you know, instead of the kind of bullshit that I was raised with, the sort of, like, worrying about this imaginary future time and, like, allowing... Our lives to be poisoned by that. That's such a Jehovah's Witness thing, right? And you know, lots of other cults um, operate on the same kind of uh, metric of like the future is more important. Like the, this imaginary place is more important than what's happening right now.
1: Right. So we're going to be able to uh, explore that more at uh, another time. But I know that there is something that permeates everything that, that we do. And as you're saying, you know, just in ways that you might not know to a great degree, but I think that there are these themes that are going to pop up. And especially if, as you're saying that, you know, self-hatred is good. There are a lot of cultic groups that talk about suffering being of value. And I really think, you know, that's a way they get away with making people suffer. It is a very powerful message to people who are already suffering that they are sort of doing it the way that God wants, and they're going to be rewarded for that in their life to come, which is very interesting. So I think there's a solace, kind of a salve to that for people who really have a very, very hard life. But for people who ha- had the potential to have an okay life, but are really made to suffer and then are really thinking that's the way they're supposed to be, then what is the motivator to make a better life or to be happy? And I talked to a lot of people who become happy and then stop themselves because they're really worried uh, about, about the happiness and what that means about them or if God is still going to and be happy with them if they're happy
2: but like start flinching like oh right. what's going to what's going to happen if i'm happy god's going to hate me
1: right there yes and there are all these adages about how it, when you're enjoying yourself when you're laughing that's when the devil's going to get you you know so people do learn to be um on guard i'm wondering just to focus particularly on your album but i really want people to have a sense of you and your life as it moved into being a musical life, because there there is something about being raised many generations into a cult, into Jehovah's Witness. I'm wondering at what age you got interested in music and what was your first foray into it? Was it through an instrument? Was it through your voice? What happened?
2: I'm just musically oriented. Like I never had classes in school. I was in orchestra, but like I didn't get like a lot of meaningful education there. My teacher was about to retire. She was going deaf and I helped tune the instruments in the whole class. This is such a blessing. She couldn't hear me. So she didn't know that I was improvising like almost the entire time because the music was so boring. Right. But I mean, it's also sad because like I didn't have anybody to kind of like pull me along, you know, and my parents, they're waiting for the end of the world. So like they weren't and like, you know, in the cult. Jehovah's Witness that I was raised in, like, if I wasn't a housewife, then nobody cared what I was doing. You know, like, if I wasn't a housewife, then anything I was doing was shameful. So no support. And, and I I still have to fight this sense of like, if I do something well, people will hate me, which is, of course, true. I mean, like, you're gonna, there's gonna be like, nasty, like, jealous haters. But like, for me, it's like this very existential thing of like, if I succeed, I will lose my most beloved people, right? That's like, unfortunately, that's like a very basic thing that I learned. So I really do have to like watch out for repercussions in in my life. If like, I, I need to make sure I'm never listening to that voice. Yeah, so I was first viola and without, you know, really... Reading from the page, which is, I feel so sorry for the entire viola section if they were trying to follow me. And it was just always this place of solace because, like, nobody cared, you know, because, like, I, you know, I already wasn't doing the thing I was supposed to be doing. And at least I wasn't, you know, fighting with my sister or something. So, like, I would just go to my room and play music. How what was my coping mechanism?
1: Right. So a lot of people who get started in in music, they talk about it being their solace, their place where they can retreat to the thing that also sometimes drowns out other sounds, fighting in the house, fighting in your head. You know, it gives you a place to hear sounds that are mm, much more pleasurable and also that you have mastery over that they're of your creation. And I wonder how much. Music was able to do that for you.
2: Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I would go out and get lost a lot too. I was, we were, we lived in these like massive suburbs on the outskirts of Houston. And the hilarious thing about Houston is like there's these giant drainage ditches everywhere and they call them bayous. They're like concrete ditches, but there's still a lot of wildlife out there. You know, it's like, it's still pretty. It's still pretty amazing. So I just like go outside and fucking write songs.
1: And it's also a point of connection. So once you do that, you meet other people who do that. And also sometimes people just want to hear you do it. So they connect with you.
2: Yeah, I remember the little pack of weirdos. There was um, my first boyfriend. we, We kissed each other one time. He was a Mormon. Like he played with like keyboards and stuff. And like, yeah, we like... Pretended we had a band when I was like 13.
1: That's really fun. Those are great experiences.
2: Yeah. It was awesome. We lost touch, like because he was older than me, he's three years older than me. So like, so he like went away to other schools really quickly. Mm -hmm. But he said he kept like all these songs that I wrote until his house burned down. I we reconnected later.
1: Hmm, But it's really nice that he held on to the music.
2: Yeah, I wish he'd. I wish we'd stayed in touch, but you know, it was it was weird. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was still dealing with like the Mormon thing, and when we reconnected, I I was like, I called him a Jack Mormon, and he was like, mm, no, he's a real Mormon.
1: Okay, wow. So, so for the the benefit of the the bonus episode for the Patreon supporters, I really. Want them to be able to hear your music and understand um, what helped to create certain songs, what the messages are that you're wanting to convey. And also for the purposes of this conversation, you know, to point out themes of of freedom, of just expressing yourself openly, positive or negative, um, exploring the world, exploring yourself in a way that you just can't when you are involved in a cult group. So can we go through parts of your album?
2: Yeah, totally. So there's a bunch of songs on the record that are related to my time as a homeless teenager. That's 100% related to being in a cult because that's like such a common, unfortunate story for people who are raised in fundamentalist groups. And uh, my publicist and I were talking about it and like she originally had this kind of press release that she wrote up said, these songs are about homelessness. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> that because it just has this like, I think if you if you see like an apparently middle class white lady talking about um homelessness, like you immediately think, like, oh, this is about policy or something. Like, this is like this non profit thing, or so you know, like it like, just it's very bloodless and but it's like that's you know. I'm not a middle-class white lady. <laughs> like, it's like, it's interesting being able to pass, but like people, you know, cause I'm I'm a f- smarty pants, you know, intellectual. And so like people just assume that I got to go to college, you know, unfortunately mm-hmm. I did not. So there's a lot of songs about, like quote about homelessness, but they're they're not external. It's like it's this um, you know, from the actual experience of like being on the street and like needing your community and writing, writing from that perspective. And so the song Highway 72 is definitely a bunch of portraits of that time.
1: Mm, okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. So from what age to what age ish were you homeless?
2: I was getting kicked out of the house a lot from the age of 13, and that's when I came out as queer, and then the, my family was the kind of, like, uh, kicking me out. Like, I would go stay with my mom and go stay with my dad, and I was just, like, very—my life was really disrupted in that sense, and then I got kicked out again when I was 17. They let me come back home, and I had a job for a little while and just stayed stayed at the house. And then from 19 to 24, I was extremely rootless. And looking back at it, I think one part of why I lived that way is that I had a lot of PTSD about houses, about like living somewhere. Like even that alone was like really scary. And like I couldn't admit it to myself. And it was also just, you know, Where I was coming from just, like, made it so hard for me to understand, like, how people do things, right? Like, I loved seeing uh, that show Unorthodox. It was, like, even though it was, like, a very different group, it was, like, seeing her trying to approach normal life and trying to figure out a way to do things was so great and especially since like she did it as a musician too she's like oh i know i'll just get accepted at this great music college you know and that and make music friends but like i i didn't know how to do things like I, nobody prepared me for a life you know nobody encouraged me to like do anything practical at all you know it was just like You know, the the end of the world will fix everything
1: or whatever, whatever kind of bullshit. like Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. So, right. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are raised with apocalyptic thinking. And so there really aren't plans made for the future because future is going to be looking very different uh, or not happening. And so, yeah, a lot of people will say I had to learn how to balance a checkbook. I I mean, Right, just life skills.
2: Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I very much did an SD. Like, if you if you see if you see an Orthodox, like I was like, oh, I know, I'll start a band. And then I, you know, I went up to British Columbia and started the Be Good Tanya's. Sometimes I don't know where this dirty road is taking me. Sometimes I don't know the reason why, so I guess I'll keep. Gambling lots
0: of and lots of But well, it's easier than just waiting to die
2: It was a really marginal existence. Like, it was very intense trying to stay up there because, like, I was an illegal alien.
1: Oh, wow. That's right. Ooh, that's very stressful. Okay, so then coming back to this song. So tell tell us about the song, and also if there's a particular line in it that you want to focus on.
2: The first line is flying a sign. That's like the phrase in um, at least like, you know, Austin, Texas. I remember some kid saying to me, like, I was like, where y'all going to go? And she's like, we're going to go fly a sign, you know, like begging for change. Flying a sign, making dollars and golden smog of the afternoon trying to remember summer hobo's song played on the street a lot I played violin on the street which is like people don't expect to (laughs) see a violinist on the street so um that that was some decent money occasionally
1: wow so you taught yourself to play violin Mm -hmm. wow where did you get a violin by the way
2: oh I'm very good at um Picking the best terrible violin in a pawn shop.
1: <laughs> Got it. Okay. All right. So there you were on the street playing. Okay. So what is the expression about a sign? You Flying a you, sign. Flying a sign. Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. I just thought it was a beautiful phrase.
1: It really is. It really is. Okay. All right. So anything else about that song before we move on to another one?
2: There's this great reference to
1: a friend's
2: song in there. The <laughs> I remember the band talking about the verse and they were saying like that it made them cry every single time they heard it. And um and they were attempting to change the, without telling me they were trip attempting to create their musical parts. This sounds like alchemy. They were trying to make their musical parts around that verse so that it did not cause you to cry every time you heard it. The lines are great horned owl, slipping by the overpass, kind of feel like every year might be my last. Look to my companions, they've got nothing to say, kicking in my footsteps on the lost highway. Now I'm slipping slipping by by the overpass, Gonna feel like every year might be my last Look to my my companions, they've got nothing to say So, like, The Lost Highway, that's, like, a reference to the Hank Williams song. And, like, as I'm talking about it, I wonder if it was actually a Luke the Drifter song, which was his, like, very Christian-y guy perspective. He had kind of, like, a preachery y uh, sub-character that he did called Luke the Drifter.
1: I'm a rolling stone All alone and long For
2: a life of sin
0: Calls. when i pass by all the people say just another
2: guy on the lost highway yeah i think lost highway might be a luther the drifter song which is like you know they're like sad guy being like i should be in church right now <laughs> you know or or whatever but it's a Lost Highway is really, I feel like it's an important American song, really bleak. Uh, and then there's there's actually a reference to Dante in that verse. So my friend Stefan Jacusco, who's the who's a friend that I made during that time, like the first squat that I ever stayed at was a squat that he stayed at. And um we would play music on the street together. And he had this wonderful, like, do-it-yourself kind of attitude. Like, uh, my my bridge was messed up. And I was like, oh, this is going to cost a lot of money to get fixed. And he was like, let me figure it out. And he taught me how to set a bridge. And he had never done it before. He's just like, he just figured it out. Like, he, you know, he could never afford instruments. So he would just always build them. And then I watched him do that. He would uh, get interested in new musical styles and then he would just build all the instruments from that world like he got really interested in greek music and that's kind of where my record wine dark sea has this like references to the odyssey and and so you know he made like all of his bases because he couldn't afford the bass, uh a bass in a store but so he was like obsessed with Dante's comedy and he made a three album set of Dante's comedy and there's he's quoting Dante who's looking at Virgil and he's like I look to my companion Mm. you know and it's like this idea of like who is who are you going through hell with Mm. yeah it's so multi-layered like I don't expect anybody to hear all this shit right you know like but um it's in there then there's yeah there's a lot of musical references and a lot of literary references on the record there's um in that song there's also a reference to uh the gospel song further along father along yeah you know all about yes sir lord day. I know father, father of jesus will understand why- And that song also references the end of the world. You know, that's that's another kind of, like, catastrophic Christian nightmare. You know, it's about, like, giving up your own sense of, like, judgment to, like, be entranced and, like, keep on keeping on. You know, you can see that in, like, positive and negative ways. Like, hold on is, like, you know, you can see it in the, like, super scary QAnon way. Like... <sighs> Where no matter what your horrible leaders are doing, just, just trust, trust the plan. Or it can be seen as like, yeah, shit is hard. You just got to like stick to stick with your principles and keep on.
1: Incredible. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the whole, whole kind of idea of necessity is the mother of invention. You know, how... There are so many people who find a way to create sound or create instruments when they don't have the money to buy and they need to just have found instruments. Like I'm thinking of Zydeco. I'm thinking of a washboard and a jug and spoons.
2: That was invented by, I forget his name right now, but Clifton engineer's brother, because he worked at a machine shop. He, he invented the thing that goes over your shoulders. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Incredible. Incredible. And I think about the, uh, it's interesting, a whole body of music called Terezin after the concentration camp. But um, music that was created during the Holocaust where people wrote out or they just did it in their head, but they wanted it to be remembered and they wanted to be able to pass it along to future generations. So they would find just a piece of cloth or paper or underside of a rock and write, you know, scores of music.
2: I love Messian. We just went on a date to go see Messian, and um, my partner Ben just did a Messian piece on synthesizer.
1: Wow, that's amazing! So, right, so let's keep going with this album because I guess I want, of course, I want people to get it, and there'll be a way to get it in the show notes. But there is something. Just about as you're going through it, and I'm seeing the emotion that's coming up that I, I could only imagine what it was like to write it and also to need to sing it. So, what other songs do you want to highlight for us?
2: The song Haunted Mountain, I wrote most of the song, and then like there's two verses and a chorus, and then Buck Meek added the third verse, and I, I love what he added. That song came out of this feeling of like like it's definitely told in this like very mythical way like where you can look at it as like I saw somebody in the press describing it because Buck recorded a version and I recorded a version so people have been writing about his more than mine obviously because he's a you know more popular artist but like somebody said about the song that it was like from the perspective of a hermit who falls in love with a mountain that is, like, the kind of surface reading. But, like, for me, it was, like, this almost, like, mythological way to talk about what it feels like to be in community and what it feels like to, I don't know, just belong. I love this phrase from the Torah. I don't know, like, I don't know where it's at, but, like, like the stones would cry out. It's the sense of, like, that justice is um omnipresent or, you know, and like like almost like an animist power, right? That's inherent in everything. Oh my God, am I weepy? But um, like, but I think that's true in the sense of like, I mean, I love learning about like animal sense of morality, you know, and that like that like it is that it is like not just a human thing and that it's also. Something that you can count on. Like, if you do explain an injustice, like, people will respond to that. You know, coming from a totalitarian system, like, you're taught that, like, that isn't real. You're taught that, like, the only reasonable connection is with these authority figures. And so the image of, like, radical reciprocity, you know, which also comes with the ethos of mutual aid and um, just community and like community care is the antithesis to that um, authoritarian vision of like the only, only good things come from some like nutty monarchist vision.
0: I was drank the
2: water of this haunted mountain The, falls. the river rose around me. I was swept up. High.
1: Okay. So then just in the essence of time, because I want I want people to be able to hear a little more, but also be able to explore it for themselves too. If you can take us through one or two more thoughts, ideas, songs.
2: So Orange Blossoms is definitely a continuation of that idea of like, I mean, there's that phrase, uh, the ground has your back. It's kind of like this sense of like radical Muslim way of talking about what there's no God but God, what that means, which is like, there's no reality but reality. There's different ways you could look at that, obviously. But yeah, the song Orange Blossoms is also this continuation of, of reciprocity of like, the earth is trying to do its job. <laughs> you know, like everybody here is trying to do their job. The bats are trying to do their job. The bees are trying to do their job. Like it's it's this this image of like pollination and it also reminds me of like realizations that I had when I was a homeless teenager and I was just like losing the indoctrination and I was just really appreciating being in community with my fellow homeless children and just realizing like that all of that authoritarianism was not necessary. Yeah, the song Orange Blossoms makes some real political statements as well and like talking about, you know, contrasting this image of like the earth trying to stabilize itself with just scary billionaires doing insane shit and like talking about, talking about wars. And there's this image in the song of that. I heard through leftist circles that fascism is like an action movie and that it's like, it's such a simple idea. It's like, the sky is going to come in and fix it all. Cause we all know how the action movie goes But back in the real real world We are standing on the precipice Another single soul on this spinning globe is captive to this dick,
1: Incredible. What other songs do you want to highlight? Me and my
2: dream is a really interesting one for me from a from a cult background. I really honestly dreamed that I had met somebody. It was just So powerful, like there was literally a date in the dream that I looked back uh, after everything had happened and saw that like my birthday played into the dream. And then my birthday was the day of our first date. And I allowed my kind of like inculcation in magical thinking to like stay in this relationship that got worse and worse and worse. But I thought, like, oh, but I dreamed that I met him. So like I should stick it out. I totally like wasted like multiple years just because of a stupid synchronicity. It's amazing. Magical thinking uh, has a body count. Magical thinking is dangerous. I was too sure to ask you to take that trip with me. Standing in the kitchen. What it's worth is like another one of the pedestrian homeless songs. And there's like this, this image of like listening for somebody's boots. Like, again, it's just, like, this expression of, like, longing for community and the way people need each other. There's some percussion in there that that I love. It's from, it's Eight Cicadas, and it sounds like, it sounds like Nawa music or something. It sounds like these kind of, like, overlapping rhythms, but it was literally just a, a recording of cicadas. From first listen, it would be 100% possible to not hear these themes, you know? Like, I think it's completely possible for other people to just project all kinds of other experiences on them, and I definitely don't mean them just to be about cult stuff, but, like, also, it's like, this is my life, you know? Like, I I can't escape my identity as a fourth-generation Jehovah's Witness. It's just, like, so part of my story. I
1: I know we need to finish up, but I think it is such a nice treat to have you kind of give us like a backstage pass, sort of open the door to understanding what is behind some of the ideas, behind some of the phrases, and also just as you were talking, some of the themes throughout and how they were impacted by your childhood, but also just through being on your own. I think having that... At times that necessary pendulum swing to another extreme where you see yourself being free, making your own decisions, figuring out your own way. And you get to also choose who's in your world, who you want to have walk with you along your path. And that is a very important thing to do. And then eventually, hopefully settling into a life that feels more secure, but also still free in fundamental ways. So thank you so much for letting us know about your process and the thinking behind so much of what you put together on this album and where can people find it and where can people find you?
2: Hopefully the music is available in all the places. If they run out of vinyl in stores or physical copies of things and you want those things, you can get them through my website, which is joliehollandmusic.com. But it should be in stores and um, in all the streaming services as well.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for today. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to our Patreon bonus episode. Your support is crucial to keeping the show on the air. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for more content and resources. Be well, and I'll talk to you soon.